The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member. And we don't mean your Aunt Dolores. You stink! The TNT Shop has it all at tntradio.live. You're listening to Bruce DeTorres on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. This is World Stage, exposing the tyrannies and exploring our power with deep dives into history, current events, dangerous trends, and the nature of reality. Before I introduce my guest, I want to talk a minute about a substack called JFK Facts. And you get cutting-edge journalism about the causes of JFK's assassination, promote a trusted news source where JFK reporting has been picked up by the New York Times, Fox News, and others to receive the latest information. And particularly, I enjoyed the other day, the country had changed before our eyes. I'm going to read a minute or so about this by Rick Singerman. Because I, for one, am convinced, like many others, that a great thread to pull is President Kennedy's assassination in order to unravel the blinders in front of our eyes about what's really going on in America and how urgent it is that more and more individuals passionately decide to care about the truth and work for it in order to save us from the many cliffs towards which we speed. Rick Singerman wrote, The country had changed before my eyes a couple days ago on jfkfacts.substack. He writes, I was 15 years old, a sophomore in high school in Los Angeles. It was approximately 8.30 a.m. when the bell rang in our geometry class, signaling it was time for our break. In the hallway, a fellow classmate was telling anyone who would listen that the president had been shot. One of the other classmates walked up to him and punched him right in the face. It was hard to believe it was true when we first heard about it. We were soon dismissed from school, and most of us went home to watch TV to find out what happened. For the first time in television history, all three networks broadcast the news of the assassination 24-7. It shocked the nation. Watching television over that weekend, it became clear that the country had changed before our eyes and most likely would never be the same. And when you find someone old enough who was conscious in 1963 and picked their brain a little bit about the impact of President Kennedy's assassination, may you be humbled to reflect upon your rights, but also your duties as a citizen of the United States of America. America only works when each and every adult works as a citizen to make our representatives accountable and transparent to us. With me this hour is James Day, author of The Mad Bishops, The Hunt for Earl Anglin James and His Assassin Brethren, the true story of a man who claimed to be a world-famous bishop, peddled phony degrees, and built a network of contacts that led to the assassinations of both Kennedys and Martin Luther King Jr. in the 1960s. The Mad Bishops is available at Tryanday.com and the usual sellers. I do marketing for Tryanday.com, for Tryanday Publishing. James majored in classical languages and earned his MFA at Loyola Marymount University's School of Film and Television in Los Angeles. He currently works in faith-based television in Orange County, California, and has authored three previous books on various 
aspects of Roman Catholicism. Thank you very much for joining me today, James. How are you? Bruce, it's an honor really to be with you, and uh, thanks for having me on. Well, I want to thank you, first of all, for the hard work that goes into writing a nonfiction book, and especially one like yours, which I haven't read yet, but I have the honor of knowing about it from working for Chris at Trine Day and for helping with a previous podcast interview with you. And I thought it's an, it's an absolutely, you know, just like I often say, uh, when you study the CIA, it's absolutely endless. It's absolutely endless. And many researchers of the JFK assassination say, be careful. You don't know if it's going to be just a casual interest for you or if you're going to get hooked. Because the more you look at the official story of President Kennedy's assassination, just like the official story of 9-11, it all falls apart. And yours is a very, very particular uh, examination of of something that became uh, on the mainstream radar screen with Oliver Stone's movie, JFK, introducing many Americans for the first time to David Ferry. But I want to, I want to ask you, you know, at your, at your, at your leisure to set up what, what intrigued you and why to do the amount of work that you did to create the book that you have. I, I I'm all ears. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, Stone really did us a favor, as you know, uh, by really putting himself out there at the height of his uh, his influence as a filmmaker, you know, in 1991, this is what he chose to to really to really fall his fall on his fall on the sword with JFK. I mean, he really could have done anything at that point. You know, two Oscars, you know, a, a platoon is a best best picture. I mean, he really could have done anything. And, and this is what he chose to to do for us as a nation and not only for a nation but also as a, as from a film perspective technically jfk remains just an amazing film to to absorb from a from a filmic perspective and you know i was in film school as you said at the, at the outro there uh in west la at loyola marymount and there's a group of us that devoured jfk as as a film there was one guy though who was really interested in the ideas of jfk and it wasn't me it was a buddy of mine who uh this was about five years after 9-11 so there was a lot of confusion going on uh on what was truth what was real what was being told of us we were a few years into iraq at that point so there was a uh, the second bush term had just started so there's a lot happening but there was this one guy who kept pushing us to go deeper than what the official story was telling us he remains a good friend of mine he's up in oregon now um, it's not Chris uh, with Trine Day, but but he's like, but he's he's in Portland. His name's Danny, and he's a, he's an awesome guy. But it took a long time for me to say, okay, was there something that Danny was saying back then that was that was true? And uh, like you said, David Ferry kind of emerged as a guy who who I thought uh, could open that door for me to go further into into what was going on because I found out, and this truly stunned me was that David Ferry not only is from Cleveland, Ohio, which is where I, I was born. We went to the same high school, which was a Jesuit school called St. Ignatius in Cleveland. We then went on to the same undergraduate school, which was John Carroll outside Cleveland, another Jesuit school. And uh, he, he left to try to be a, a Roman Catholic priest. Um, and from there, it didn't work out. His trajectory then went into this crazy life that we now that we saw on JFK, which Joe Pesci just 
played, you know, fantastic. Well, do, do, tell me, uh, you know, a brief summary of David Ferry's role in the assassination story. Bottom line, and this is hard evidence, bottom line, Ferry was Lee Harvey Oswald's mentor in the Civil Air Patrol. And that, that we have, you know, easy proof of that with the photographic evidence of, of that connection. But and that, that started really in the 19, that started in the 1950s with that's their, right. uh, acquaintance and working together. Yeah. Okay. Or, or right. participation in the civil air patrol. Yeah. 1955. So ferry, uh, it ferry is about late thirties and uh, we know Oswald of course is a teenager. So there's this recruitment, um, ability that ferry has in one might say luring uh young men into the civil air patrol um and it wasn't just the civil air patrol ferry had this uh, charismatic ability uh to hypnotize folks legitimately uh, which is a key a key thing that if you look at all three assassinations we can get into that later but their hypnotism looms over all three of those characters within oswald and saran saran you know, and within James Earl Ray. But Ferry had this charismatic ability to lure young men to do his bidding. And we saw that specifically with the Civil Air Patrol. And we saw that specifically with his role in Guy Bannister's uh, detective agency and what was going on underneath the surface there with anti-communist activities, gun running and flying planes into Cuba um, and other subversive activities to uh, thwart not only the supposed communist threat that was going on in the south in louisiana but but really with the uh with the desegregation process that was happening especially specifically in the south and the in, in the integration of the schools this was just you know Ban bannister and others including ferry were rabid segregationists to them this was the fall of the of the southern way of life even though ferry was from the north he really found his niche in in louisiana and really that's from there bruce once i started kind of seeing that this was a tangible uh aspect uh, element of the early 1960s which was the integration process and how deeply tied in these characters from jfk from oliver stone's jfk were ferry and bannister and oswald and others then things really started to uh become of interest for me to go further uh, and that's not even getting into the religious aspect yet, Bruce. And, and you already knew that Ferry was the main uh, person of interest to Jim Garrison in 66 as he was looking into Kennedy's assassination. And then uh, when it was announced in the press that District Attorney Jim Garrison of New Orleans was uh, interested in David Ferry, David Ferry panicked and called people and said, maybe people in the office, at Garrison's office, I'm a dead man. You know what I've done? You've done by exposing me like that? And within three or four days, he was indeed dead. So you started studying him a lot deeper, already knowing, wow, you know, look how implicated and people saw that in the Oliver Stone film. So that's just, you know, just a broad scope of who David Ferry was at the point where you started doing real deep research into him. Yeah, there, there, I do have to mention there's a photograph. There's, 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 you know, the, the police took photos of Ferry's body, 
when they they found him at his apartment and you know those who have really looked into the case you could find those easily online but there's a particular photo that really grabbed me and this is really only recently after the book came out bruce um the book came out in november and this was maybe just a few weeks ago i saw this photo of uh you know fairy's uh you know slacks are you know lying on the chair and he's got still has his belt around the slacks and they're you know and there's a book half open it's it's sort of it's sort of like this it's sort you know he's got it half open like that on the chair and it's uh epstein's book inquest which was a famous book a new kind of that came out just right around the time of this right mid 60s it was one of the early books along with mark lane edward j epstein this is inquest half open and the cover you know is is, is inquest and then the the subtitle is does does another lone assassin lurk uh that we have you know and it just says to me wow this was clearly on Barry's mind up until the very end yeah it was one of the first books uh critiquing and criticizing the warren commission as a as very problematic if not lunacy which tried to pin kennedy's assassination just on lone nut quote unquote lee harvey oswald yeah yeah so that I thought that was quite telling, you know. You can fill in the blanks. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't ind- implicate him in anything nefarious? But come on, you know. <laughs> uh, but Bruce, I, I just want to say though, the religious aspect really w- was the the thing that said, okay, I'm going to s- commit myself to this road, you know, because uh, you know I'm also a Roman Catholic. Ferry was a, a deep Roman Catholic, uh, devout family in uh in cleveland irish catholic family uh and yet he uh he was gay so he could not really pursue the priesthood because of the uh the roman you know the the roman catholic uh sort of uh, keeping the door closed on and actively gay uh men like fairy was so i think that really hurt him but it allowed him to follow uh, a path into becoming a pilot and the things that led him ultimately to Louisiana. But what, what was interesting and what really fascinated Jim Garrison, as you know, was his foray into the fringe aspects of Christianity, uh, the old Catholic Church, something I didn't, honestly, I didn't even know about, which I, I still don't think a lot of people know about, which was just kind of a ultimate, basically, to sum it down, a, you know, a, a group of fake bishops, fake priests, who claimed that they could make each other bishops and thus have the the power to create more bishops down the line. And what does this all mean? I think, though, it was a network of intelligence and and racists who collated together to forge um, assassinations and coup d'etats. Wow, a group that uh, probably was at the end of some strings from intelligence, and you're going to go into that in uh, in, uh, in uh, great depth on the other side of a break. We're going to take in a minute or so, and I just want to recap that I understand you clearly that your uh, initial fascination and deeper research was totally following David Ferry. That's right, right? That's right. That, okay, right. so he was he was your your lead into um, the story, and 
what you discovered through there, you know, into this this discovery of the quote unquote old Catholic Church. With me is James Day, the author of The Mad Bishops, The Hunt for Earl Anglin James and His Assassin Brethren. And here now is important information from TNT Radio. The latest headlines waiting for you. I follow the news pretty much throughout the day. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. And James James Day is with me, uh, the author of The Mad Bishops. And I'm fascinated by the religious door open. Now, was it... Uh, well, you take it from there. You pick it up from there because you found that David Ferry, notorious character surrounding the uh, Kennedy uh, investigation by Jim Garrison in New Orleans in 66, 67, was involved with this old Catholic church. Again, fake bishops who were, uh, you you concluded, were a, a cabal of some kind who committed assassinations, Right. I do. Yeah. Assassinations and coup d'etats. And uh, that's where our, our mad bishop, Earl England James, the, the subject of, of the book, uh, he seems quick, to have quick, been. Quick, quick, yeah, quick question right at, right at the top of this, as not as a standalone group, I'm assuming or I'm asking, you know, as as a group steered by higher ups in, in intelligence or other secret uh, groups. Is that true? Without a doubt. Now, intelligence intelligence emerged for me early on. However, it veered more into the practical, pragmatic aspect of the integration and the civil rights process down in, in, in Louisiana when we're talking specifically about John F. Kennedy's assassination. In the broad scheme, I think these are, I, I wouldn't necessarily say, oh, CIA, you know, I would, I would caution folks to say, to immediately go there. It doesn't mean, though, that there's an intelligence element looming around these guys. You take their, you take this fake collar and you take the fake bishop mitre off these guys. They're nobody. Uh, All right, you know. James, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna go to a break now, and then I wanna I'm gonna ask you, you know, to really really you know spell out for me what these guys were doing as fake clerics. Again, James Day is with me, and here is important information from TNT Radio. You should hear what Charlie Robinson is talking about. I think once we saw the supply chain issues uh, that happened during the COVID debacle, you go, well, that seems bad for the, you know, when you're fighting somebody for toilet paper, but it could be worse, right? It could be the last can of food. So people are starting to reevaluate and reassess their situations and their relationship with supply chains and the like. And I think what that does is it leads you to a place of saying, how can I make myself less dependent on the system? It's kind of hard to know where to start, right? Where would you suggest we even begin with this process? Yeah, it's funny you said that because someone said to me recently and it made me laugh that this is going to be the kind of collapse where the Burger King's still open. And I think that's what's probably lulling people into a false sense of security in that everything when we go to the city kind of appears normal unless you're in one of those really crazy drug adult cities. But for most people, I would say, Charlie, it feels normal, but it ain't normal. <laughs> the world yeah. is not normal. It's completely gone off kilter. Charlie Robinson on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. God's truth is enduringly true throughout all the generations. It transcends culture. The church is always going to be an embattled people. If it's swimming with the tide, it's not being the church of Jesus Christ. 
look to the past, learn from the past, because the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. China has more than 200 confirmed cases of coronavirus, it's called. The entire state of California ordered to stay at home. That's 40 California has some of the strictest policies leveled against churches. Gavin Newsom's executive order threatens jail time and a $1,000 a day fine. Government stopping people from going to church, Dr. Fauci. When I went into the White House, when I sat in on the task force meetings, was a shocking level of gross incompetence. The mortality rate from the virus was 0.2%. You know, 99.8% survival, rather than the 3 or 4% mortality that the, the people are saying at the time. The culture and the understanding of the people of Grace Church has always been, not only do you obey government, but you honor government. Thousands of people in the streets, but you can't have church. The hypocrisy of letting people riot it helped us all understand one thing. This is not what they say it is. By meeting, we're testifying the government has no jurisdiction here. I was arrested and driven to a maximum security prison. The government has obviously uh, turned up the heat on churches. My daddy. <laughs> when the churches fall silent, the only religion left is the state. We needed to make a biblical statement because we always put ourselves under the authority of the Word of God. LA County threatened Pastor John MacArthur with jail time and arrest. We were going to be sued. They wanted Grace Church shut down. We wanted to go on the offensive and attack the health order as unconstitutional. This wasn't about health and safety. This was all about control and opposition to religious freedom. As the government gets more corrupt and more corrupt, snitches get rewards. Its totalitarian control has to increase. And you have to have a mask on. And as they shut down any attacks against them. This is not about freedom or personal choice. The last thing standing is going to be the church. Today's News Talk Radio. Come on, let the man talk. We never censor our hosts. Good. Now, talk. Uncensored News. Today's News Talk Radio. TNT. Bruce Tataris with James Day, author of The Mad Bishops, The Hunt for Earl, Anglin James, and His Assassin Brethren, the true story of a man who claimed to be a world-famous bishop, peddled phony degrees, and built a network of contacts that led to the assassinations of both Kennedys and Martin Luther King Jr., in the 1960s. James, bear with me while I read this great review your book got. Um, a stupendous work, a masterpiece of research that details a fascinating adjunct to one of history's great crimes. So says Robert Hutchison, author of Their Kingdom Come, Inside the Secret World of Opus Dei, also producer and director of David Ferry. 2020 documentary short on the strange life of Lee Harvey Oswald's mentor and key to the JFK assassination. All right, so these phony clerics, the old Catholic church, you don't have to focus just on describing them, James. You could use that as a leaping into uh, spelling out for me maybe the story as you were discovering it, and at what point did you reach a tipping point 
Were you all along researching, knowing you were going to write a book about it? Or did that emerge after you had this aha, like, wow, this is rich enough to develop into a whole book? Yeah, right. It was an aha moment. It was uh, usually, usually uh, my interests start as an article, maybe a 2,000, 3,000 word article that I can kind of distill where I'm at in terms of my research. And I'll try to send it out and kind of get some feedback from it. And really, Chris, who I'd never met before, Chris Milligan of Trine Day, read it on a, on a whim. And he said, I want to hear more about, about these bishops, see what you can come up with. And uh, it took about six months, and, and that was that was the result. The result was the book. Let, let me tease it down this way. At every major plot point in terms of the assassinations of Kennedy, of both Kennedys and King, you have a preacher, a reverend, or a bishop emerge to advance the plot or some kind of religious element. And I'll just sum it up briefly. For example, not only do you have this old Catholic church faction of Bannister, Jack Martin, and, and Ferry, but you have Osborne, the guy who was on the bus with, quote-unquote, Oswald heading into Mexico, who was a preacher uh, in Mexico. He would claim to be sitting next to Oswald. Uh, you have the Unitarian Universal element of uh, Ruth Payne and Albert Schweitzer College, which is where Oswald applied to before he went, uh, before he defected to Russia. Uh, you have the white Russians who, and the anti-Bolsheviks, you know, uh, George de Morshall, all those folks who have a, a, a specific uh, orthodoxy element to, to, you know, to their narrative. In Saran Saran, you have, he was picked up, hitchhiked, and a, a reverend claimed to pick him up. But we know now that the reverend spent a lot more time with Saran Saran at the equestrian center where Saran Saran worked prior to the assassination of, of RFK. And with James Earl Ray, you have Ray going in Los Angeles, going to uh, a hypnotist who happens to be a reverend. You know, so these are just some, a few examples that I just thought were very interesting that just they're dropped here and there and they always kind of turn the plot forward, you know. Um, but if I can just go back to the old Catholic Church real quick. So you have these guys looming around Oswald, Ferry, Jack Martin, Guy Bannister. We have all of them. We have all of them were consecrated as bishops by this one guy, Carl Stanley out of Louisville, Kentucky. Uh who was affiliated with something called the American Orthodox Catholic Church. Once you start digging into Stanley, you start getting into things like Christian nationalism, Christian identity, the John Birch Society, the Ku Klux Klan, the radical Catholic traditionalists, Sede Vacantness. Uh, these are groups now, by the way, that the FBI have currently been focusing on, you know, as being extreme, almost violent, far-right groups. Um, and once you dig into Stanley further, you get into Archbishop Took of Vietnam, the brother of the assassined president of Vietnam, Diem, who was assassinated with his brother three weeks before Kennedy was killed. Archbishop Took also became involved with the old Catholic Church. Archbishop Took at the time was the premier guy, cleric in Vietnam. I mean, he was a, he was basically royalty. And the whole DM family was royalty in Vietnam, propped up by the U.S., uh, leading up to their assassination in 63. What's really interesting is that both the fall of the, the, the South Vietnam presidency, at the, the coup that toppled the DM regime, November 1st, 
and JFK's assassination three weeks later. All of that was going on at the same time as the Second Vatican Council in Rome, where Took was. So Took could never go back to Vietnam following the council. He became this wandering bishop in his own right. But what was really interesting is that the council, Bruce, for, for, and, I, and I, I'm trying to summarize this in a way for all audiences who may not even be aware of what the council was, but it was a way, and I'm sure they know of it, it's a way that changed the Catholic Church dramatically. Uh, this three-year session, these three-year sessions went from uh, let's say Latin Latin masses to English masses and all sorts of vernacular languages. A lot of changes happened in the church, but uh, non-Catholic clerics were invited to go to Rome to participate in the sessions as observers. You know, so you had Orthodox, you had Lutherans, you had Methodists, you also had old Catholics, and among those invited to Vatican II was Carl Stanley himself. The key between the New Orleans cabal of bishops and all of those groups I just mentioned, including Christian nationalists and the John Birch Society. Carl Stanley was invited to be a, an ecumenical observer to Vatican II. Most likely, I submit, he met, he knew Took then, Archbishop Took, and you know from there they were off and running, and this cabal was just unstoppable. All right. Uh, that's, that's, that is fascinating in its own right. And I've got a hard choice here, but I'm going to steer us to zero in like a like a laser beam on uh, talking about David Ferry into this group of the old Catholic Church and the characters around and how it led to your discovery of Earl Anglin James and his assassin brethren, which is presumably, I haven't read it yet, the, the major uh, character uh, you describe and portray you know and show us in your yeah. book the mad bishops yeah so fairy called this guy earl england james about seven times in 1962 or so and garrison thought that was interesting why was and it was an unlisted number so they had to kind of dig around why was why was fairy calling this toronto number so much uh at, at a time leading up to the assassination we, we we have a sense of who these other local calls and things were but why this guy and on the surface, you can say, well, it was because, you know, Ferry really wanted to be a bishop. We know this. We wanted He wanted to be a priest. So he wanted to be a bishop in this Carl Stanley American Orthodox Catholic Church thing. Big deal. Big deal, a lot of people were saying. And that, that's where Garrison got a lot of flack with pursuing this, what he called the odd sex, S-E-C-T-S, you know, the odd religious sex. That he was very interested in it. He couldn't quite crack it. Uh, but he was really interested in it. So he was pursuing this idea of who was this guy, James, up in Toronto? Why was Ferry calling him? That's where I kind of picked up where, where Garrison left off. Because once you start on kind of unpeeling James's life, you start seeing the exact same connections here that, that's going on with Carl Stanley. Uh, an emphasis in Christian nationalism, Christian identity, the idea being that white folks, white people are really the, the true Jews, you know, the Jews are the spawn of Satan. So really, you know, we are, we must preserve the, the white race of Jesus, these folks would say. Uh, that was interesting to me, uh, because down in New Orleans, a lot of Bannister people were the same thought, had the same thought process. And you start seeing this, this vast network that Earl England James had. So if you wanted to have, you know, if you wanted to say you had a PhD in something, you pay Earl England James a, you know, a little decent amount of money and he'll 
craft for you a very nice looking diploma and you know he'll send it back to you and it'll be completely made up yeah for the national university of canada but you can go around and say like look i have a phd and so you know pay me accordingly or whatever you needed to do to get get on with your life but for those with a criminal intent he could make you a passport he can get you diplomatic credentials to an african country called burundi for instance which existed but it, you know it no one else was going to question you if you had diplomatic credentials so people could really do whatever they wanted under this umbrella that james early england james created for you and what, what did really ferry what did what did ferry or maybe the also the others around guy bannister jack martin what were they what was their involvement in the that old catholic church and with take uh getting such services or phony credentials from james on the one hand maybe on the on the surface it was in order so if you were able to say hey, i'm a bishop in this you're not even going to be able to pronounce the church but it doesn't matter i can't pronounce it either bannister might say but i'm a bishop see i have my i have my my consecration papers that then enables him to say well, i can go to cuba as a cleric uh, you know i can fly i'm flying in on a mission for my church and no one's no one at, at the border for instance is going to say well i can't turn you away you know you're, you're a priest you did know, those guys do did those guys do those kind of things we know that one of the reasons was for getting into cuba for instance and and doing subversive uh mexico was also a, a prominent location and but if not if not either of the three of ferry or bannister or martin I mean, what I'm hearing is those kind of people who used James's services for the phony uh, cleric status and other phony documentation, you found evidence that a number of people were doing those kind of things. And then I want you to tell me, you know, what exactly did you find that either Ferry or Bannister or Martin were doing under the umbrella of being these phony clerics? On the, sur on the surface, it was to do practical things like getting into a country like Cuba in order to do whatever subversive activities that they had to do. We, I didn't really, I don't really know further than that what they were able to accomplish on that level. But on, on, on the other hand, it was the shared ideology that they were able, that they were able to share with James's network. And that was this, the, the, the ideology of Christian nationalism, of, the kind of John Birch Society promulgation of of ideology of of racism, anti-Semitism, and you know, and this kind of radical extremists that they were able to find this network that James was able to maybe connect you with somebody from across the country that you didn't know or from the UK who you didn't know that you might want to look into this guy. He might know some guys that you might be able to connect with. Let me let me you know. Bishop so-and-so, let me connect you with Bishop so-and-so, that kind of thing. And from there, it was like, whatever you were interested in, you know, he'll connect you with who, who you should meet. You know, I, I want you to meet this guy, that kind mm -hmm. of thing. And I'll tell you, I think ultimately where we're at now in terms of uh, the, the white Christian national that I believe is, is really a problem in our country, if that was addressed back then during the JFK era, we would be in a far different place uh, as a country, you know, because this has been left to be 
this is left to fester. And as you know, slavery and race is our country's greatest scar. And it was completely abandoned. Uh, even in Oliver Stone's movie, it did not get into, it was not, there was one ass, one element in the beginning prologue of, of James, hang on to that thought. James yeah. Day, author of The Mad Bishops. And uh, we're going to, uh, we're going to explore that well. On the other side of this important information from TNT Radio. Deweaponizing weather with reality and perspective. Winter is going to reclose in on Europe and the United States. The United States had a very warm Christmas. But if you looked at the weatherbell.com analogs that we put out back in March for how we thought this was going to evolve, a lot of this is based on our climate hypothesis having to do with the underwater geothermal venting that's going on. It predicted almost perfectly the Christmas temperature across the United States, with it being warm in the east and central part of the country and cold in the west. It also is predicting a cold January, February, and March, and this is coming for much of the southern and eastern United States. It's also coming for Europe. You folks in Europe, get ready. You can punch the clock. You're about 10 days away from a dramatic change and there is going to be three to four weeks of really, really nasty weather in Europe. Because this is a retrograding pattern, we have something called the quasi-biennial oscillation, which is easterly. What happens is Europe will get very, very cold first. The United States over the next two weeks will be cold from about the central part of the United States, west, east, south, where it'll still be warm in Canada. Then the mother load comes into the United States later in January and February. So we're giving you fair warning now. There is a textbook stratospheric warming event taking place. It was already one. It is leading to the response that's turning cooler now across the United States. But the second one that is coming is the one that can really, really dump the polar vortex into the Great Lakes for a while later in January or February. This is TNT Climate and Weather Watchdog meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you got. Many pollution sources can affect the air you breathe, from power plants and vehicles to dust and wildfires. Knowing more about local air quality can help you protect your health. If you're thinking about buying an air sensor, EPA has a series of videos to help you get the most out of it. Learn how EPA collects and uses regulatory data how EPA communicates health messaging, and how to interpret the readings from your sensor. Visit epa.gov air sensor toolbox. The conversation continues with Bruce DeTorres on today's News Talk TNT Radio. James A., author of The Mad Bishops, what would you tell me next based on what we've already talked about, or do you want me to ask you a couple of questions? I just want to say, uh, Bruce, that you know, I, we've been focusing specifically on JFK and also the other assassinations, but I want to mention how vast this network continued even after the, those assassinations of the 1960s. James emerges in something called the Vatican Securities Fraud of the early 1970s. Now, Godfather III, if you remember Godfather III got into Vatican Bank uh scandals of that time its first draft was about this security scheme which was basically a group of guys uh approached the vatican and said um if you let us we can if you can sell these securities these fraudulent securities like coca-cola and, and those you know it and t at t that, that sort of thing 
they're worth about 14.9 million, but they're all, they're completely fake. So if you can sell them, then we can get a kickback and everyone makes some money and we can use the Vatican bank and no one's going to know anything more than that. That the FBI thwarted that. And that's the detailed in the Vatican connection, 1982 book by, by a guy called hammer. But the, the people, the group was of course, early England James's network of guys. So if you go to them, you could see they were able to get into the Vatican by peddling, hey, I've got some credentials from Burundi. Uh, and that, you can read more about it. It's in the book. But I just want to say it just it, it continued on further than what we know. And it, it's just deeper than I was even able to. I'm sure I, there's plenty of stories that I haven't even been able to uncover yet, Bruce. Thank you. I want you to explain a little bit more of the nefariousness of their, I think you're calling it white Christian national ideology. And what is either the history of its harms to the United States and what, or what is the status of its, of its danger today? Uh, the danger was evident mostly in January 6th Capitol riot. That was an attempt, I believe what I call a Patriots crusade. That was an attempt to overthrow uh, our sense of democracy, our, our democratic system, by a false belief that the United States was founded specifically as a Christian nation. This is the same ideology that united guys like Bannister, Ferry, James, and that network. They believed that the white race was the pure white race and that the mix of the white race was the, the most horrible idea that can happen. And sure enough, President Kennedy in June of 1963 announces his Civil Rights Act, which LBJ admirably did push through in 64, but it started with JFK, let's not forget. Also, Medgar Evers of the NAACP was assassinated the very night Kennedy gave that civil rights speech. So it was, it was sort of like a warning uh, that this was going to be happening. Um, and that integration, desegregation was a major blow to the Southern way of life. So this group wanted to basically create another civil war, if not a World War III, if they could have it, but another civil war to preserve this, this segregation aspect, um, which of course it didn't work, but the ide ideology lives on, Bruce. And that's where I see the legacy of James Ferry and others continuing on today in, in what's happening, most specifically in the January 6th insurrection. If you look at it from a white Christian nationalist view, then I think you understand the danger that we are in as a, as a, as a country right now. Thank you. And sh you know, share with me, if, 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 you, if you will, the picture that your book paints about when did when did uh, Earl Anglin James, what, what, what's kind of like the list of the, the worst things that he was involved with? Let me just ask you that. The list of the worst things that James was involved in. Kind of when did he start doing some things and how long did his uh, career of funky stuff uh, go on? We'll start with, as a person, he was a horrible, he was a horrible individual. He never actually even has a degree, a legitimate degree of his own. He ends up collecting, supposedly, more than 2,000 honorary degrees in his own life, but he never could claim one degree. For, so he has, he has actually no real formal education. He, he, was, he, he abused women 
he uh, and his wife, his ex-wife, which was a forced marriage, actually wrote a novel about her th thinly veiled truth, you know, thinly veiled fiction uh, on her relationship with James and how she was treated. It's called Scars. And uh, she uses the pen name of Diane James, 1959. It didn't do anything, but it's still it's out there. You can find it. And it, it, it paints a horrible picture of this individual. So from a fundamental aspect of, of his humanity, he was a terrible individual. But he uh, and he was but he was very deft and he was able to really cross cross borders. He did a lot of smuggling. Uh, he would go to army camps during the war and try to sell his degrees. Uh, but he was probably doing other things there too, maybe selling weapons and and uh, and, and other kinds of contraband. There was a lot of that going on between wars. Dur during during which war was he doing that? Yeah, this was, this was World War II. So James okay. was born in 1901, and All he right. starts selling his fake diplomas by about 1930 or so after he uh, his failed academic career you know didn't pan out but he found that he could do this pretty well he had a very artistic sense of making diplomas and things so it, it doesn't seem like to be very nefarious that he's but 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 you know it doesn't have to be mind-blowingly huge to change people's lives so when you have gun smuggling when you have contraband going on uh and now then when you have folks who with an intent to murder the president and a senator and the leading civil rights person of the day, then you start seeing uh, how deep, basically how there's no moral, there's nothing, there's no line in the sand with James. If, if you're willing to pay for whatever you want from him, you want a degree, you want a diploma, you know, you want license plates, you want, you know, you want diplomatic passports, he doesn't care. And the fact that it, that it continues on with Va the Vatican security scheme, those are the four kind of aspects that I really saw with James. Tell, tell me, tell me as much as you can about what you found about his interaction slash involvement with people with the assassination of President Kennedy. Okay, so with with Kennedy, it 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 was um, he was the patriarch in the, if you will of this particular church he himself na na nation nationwide or in louisiana no i would say even, well he was based in toronto so i would say even intercontinent you know i would say international okay. international okay. and it was called the Cath catholicate of the west and he was the the exarch of canada and it seems so silly but it's brilliant though because you can just dismiss these guys as being so very creative in their in their craziness but that was exactly what they loved doing they were able to hide in plain sight and kind of create this chaos underneath this veneer of fake chivalry orders you know fake cleric fake churches and fake schools while so, they're doing while they're while they're making money doing under the table kind of things like smuggling but you even earlier said, you know, assassinations and coup d'etat. So I know you're you're going to hone in on Kennedy's assassination. Okay. Yeah. Right. So, and and so it was through. It was if you if you're David Ferry, you go to you go to Carl Stanley, who's in Louisville. Carl Stanley is like the boot on the ground for James. 
James is, is this kind of ephemeral figure in canon. You're not really going to deal with him directly. You're going to get something in the mail from him that's going to you're able to that you're going to be able to show around, like a passport or a degree. But he's not he's not really the one you're going to interact with. You're, there's so many levels that you know, and, and that he's going to be able to say, I I don't really know anything. And they asked him. They said, Well, I heard you were involved. Uh, a reporter from the Toronto Star went to James in '68. Said, Well, they the garrison. They're saying you're involved with with the Kennedy assassination. He goes, Oh no, not not. They say I was involved. Do they? Oh no no no. Oh the reason why. And then he'll and then they said, Well, who do you think killed Kennedy? And he said. Uh, Oh, it was because he went down south to get the colored vote. And that is why they said, we'll stop this man. And he says it's so kind of, he had a very soft handshake and that sort of thing. But everything I found shows that, that that's exactly what happened. He went down south to galvanize some votes. And uh, a group of segregationists said, there's no way we're going to let this happen. So in a way, he's giving you his answer, but he's doing it in such a way that makes it seem like this guy's just crazy, you know? Um, James, you're saying, James, you just said that uh, as far as you can see it, that's who took out Kennedy in 63. Yes, it was that bannister cabal with the with the radical right in Dallas under the guise of anti-communism. But really, they were radical right extremists who did not want to see, and I'm not saying it's just because they didn't want to see segregation uh, dismantled. It's, you know, it's the ideology behind it that's driving them from trying to prevent as much as they could from, from America moving forward as an integration, as an integration country. You know, it, that was the line that happened. That was the Civil Rights Act of 63 that, um, you know, that's what was going on. I mean, what okay. I found. So, so if Southern right wing uh groups and networks of people uh took out kennedy entwined among them were either members of the this phony religious order or recipients of favors from them or customers who paid them to do things it's kind of like a, a a rope of many many threads is that what i'm picturing all yes exactly all linked though by that kind of ideology of uh you know supremacy okay. essentially okay. right it, okay. with, with some yeah. intelligence some intelligence woven into that that we have i want that that that's okay it's absolutely it's absolutely fascinating that this guy you know functioned the way that he did that he interacted and uh, apparently was of some kind of service of in actual projects with our three main protagonists, David Ferry, Guy Bannister, and Jack Martin. That's what you're saying? That's a great summary. Yeah, exactly. Okay. okay. And if you had to study for your next book a bigger picture of Kennedy's assassination, what leads would you follow? Which is my which is just a way of you know asserting that. The forces that controlled the Secret Service and the FBI and, and people in the CIA and then the media and then the cover-up, uh, it seems, are, are a lot bigger than uh, Southern white racist Christian nationalists. Do you, do you, what do you think about that assessment? 
I, I see what you mean. Uh, and I think there's an argument, there's certainly an argument to be made there. Um, I was just kind of following where, what, where these guys led me. And that was the conclusion that I drew in terms of the tangible elements that were carried out on 11-22-63. And I'll just quickly, quickly say this. The, the key to me to opening this up in terms of the Kennedy assassination was Joseph Miltier, the KKK member who we know like to talk and have foreknowledge of the assassination through Willie Somerset, who was the FBI Miami police informant. I'll just quickly say that the day after the assassination, Somerset drove Miltier, who we think was Miltier was in Dallas, was in Dealey Plaza on the 22nd, drove him to a Klan meeting in the Carolinas. And it was on that drive up to the Carolinas that, that, that Miltier named three shooters two of whom were preachers, by the way, Ted Jackman and R.E. Davis, the third, J.D. Tippett. And that's a whole other conversation. But once you start kind of seeing maybe there's some truth there, things start falling into place in terms of that white supremacy ideology. Oh, totally. And the major characters we've been talking about the whole show are, are definitely entwined in the plot, touched by the plot. And I can't wait to read. The Mad Bishops, The Hunt for Earl Anglin James and His Assassin Brethren, available at trinday.com, for whom I do the marketing, and also at the usual sellers. And is that uh, scene of Miltier's drive in Carolina in your book? It is. It is. Chapter six. Well, yeah, because when they start to, when they, when, when any source can start to, you know, name, you know, actual shooters, it gets real intriguing because that's very granular. That's really, really at the end of, you know, um, great, great work, thinking, effort, research, et, et cetera. And, and, uh, and I do appreciate and admire, you know, you have a very broad-minded response to my like, hey, what about all these other elements? Certainly in LBJ's fiefdom of Texas, the people that you named, even J.D. Tippett, boy, oh boy, right? Wouldn't I mean if a time travel would be worth it just to really see what happened on November twenty second, especially Tippett? Was he was he a shooter in Dealey Plaza? What went down? I think it was on Patton Street or Tenth Street when he got shot. Who did it? They all scattered here. Looks like Oswald was well seated already in the Texas theater before that happened. Yep. Um, it's absolutely absolutely fascinating. Where can and should people follow you, James Day? I would just go to trinday.com and just and just search the book. That's all I ask. And I'll just quickly say, they say the shooters of Tippett, where did they run into? The Abundant Life Temple, another church, shows up right when the plot twists. Right. And I think there was a call and lots of cop cars went over there just before or simultaneous with the call to the Texas theater. Um, no wonder, Chris, dug your article and encouraged you to do more research and and uh produce the mad bishops and what are you gonna what are you gonna write next we've got we're down to a maybe a minute or so are you what are you researching now i have a book coming out through trine day next year on the history of the shroud of turin it's called the fraud of turin and i make it clear that it's pretty much a medieval forgery and it has been hijacked by certain folks to promote their own thoughts into how the shroud is with the, the, the shroud is actually the burial cloth of Christ, when in fact there's compelling evidence that it's a medieval forgery and why that's important. 
I, I can't wait to read that or get my hands on that. Next year, you say this coming year. I remember I've been reading about that in various forms for, you know, like f over 40 years. You know, it's a it's a titillating uh, artifact. James Day has been with me and uh, he's the author of The Mad Bishops, The Hunt for Earl Anglin James and His Assassin Brethren. And as all things circling Kennedy's assassination, it behooves some time and attention by we who love truth and freedom. This is TNT Radio.